not a technocrat. <laughs> it's not a big deal. I'm glad we got it figured out. Um, there we go. Do that. And I do this. I'm trying to see if I look like a human. Okay. Oh. <laughs> no, you look like a duck. A duck? A duck. Good. Well, All right. The stream yard. <laughs> no, no. The stream yard symbol is a duck, isn't it? Oh, uh, I don't know. Is it? Yes. I've not paid any attention computer, to it. At least it comes up as a duck. <laughs> Isn't that funny? All right. Um, so now I'm going to go ahead. Me. You're great. You're great. So I know it looks small to you, but it isn't small on my end. And so it will be fine. <laughs> okay. I trust you. Promise. I promise. <laughs> All right. Welcome today to Online for Authors. We have author Karen Seholis, who has written The Lighthouse. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, I love I'm talking about it. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you. This was a wonderful historical fiction. But before we get into it, I want you to give everyone a quick little elevator speech as to what this book is about. This book is about a Jewish physician who lived 2,000 years ago. And he was so excited about healing that he spent all his time and passion on that until because of other violence in his city of Cyrene, his sister was abducted. And so he went all over the place to find his sister. And in the process, he went to Alexandria, the best university in ancient times and studied medicine. And you will have to read the novel to know whether <laughs> he finds his sister. Right. I loved, I loved the story idea, especially because, you know, he wants to be a healer. That's what he believes that he is driven to do, right? And then uh -huh. on the other hand, his sister is abducted. And as, what, the oldest in his family or because if he was the brother, he, he was essentially tasked to not only find her, but revenge, which That's was, right. right, completely opposite of what he, he was, he, he was supposed he to do. In. Right. He believed in the sanctity of life right. and saving lives. And here the Jewish community, which had a senate in their little town of Cyrene, tasked him with the job as right. a goal to find revenge. And so he does set out first to find her. And he goes through all the slave markets and is totally demoralized by what he sees. Right. And then later he gets to Jerusalem looking for her at the very time of the crucifixion. Right. And that was the other thing that I found very interesting was like the time period and the setting. What, what drew you to this time period? Well, since I was 12 years old, I think I've been living in ancient times. <laughs> I fell in, that's crazy. So I guess I'm about 2000 years old. Sometimes I feel that way. <laughs> but basically, uh, I loved Latin, which is weird, I know. And then when I was 14, uh, I started Greek 
And everything about the ancient world fascinated me. And I read way beyond what I was supposed to in school. Uh, I was more interested in the history than the language. So I did all that. And I've always wanted to use that to read the primary sources, to read uh, the philosopher Philo, or to read Josephus, who wrote in Greek, not in Hebrew. He was Jewish. So I was able to read all of those works. And there's so much, there's so many jewels in all that history that most people know nothing about that I was able to put some of that, of course, not all, but some of that into the novel. Well, that's something that I noticed is that obviously you did an enormous amount of research and, but not in a way that, that bogged the reader down. I felt like everything that I learned while going along in your novel flowed really well. It, it was meant to be there. It, it helped move the story forward. I have read a few that I don't know, like you're reading along and then you feel like you're stop. Let's have a history lesson. Okay. Now we're going to read the story. Stop. Let's have a history lesson. And that isn't the way your book went. I felt very much like I was learning, but almost accidentally learning and, and just going along with the story. I loved it. You did an amazing job. Absolutely amazing job. I love that you saw that. I, I don't like novels that, go into long, long descriptions or lectures. And that is a temptation since I am a retired teacher. (laughs) Uh, You know, you tend to want to teach, but you can teach through character. Yes. And that's what I tried to do. And what I wanted the, the reader to feel is the emotions of the character. And yes, you have to have the context But the context is only the context for the emotions. You've got to have how passionate he is. Right. And have his love story where he actually falls in love with a Roman girl, which, oh, that's going to be quite a challenge there. Right. So all of that. and, And what is she? She's the daughter of a senator, no less. And so this is something where... Uh, I invented some, but I never intentionally swayed away or or abandoned the historical accuracy I found. Right. I didn't change a date. I didn't change. uh, I invented some names, but Simon is listed in the Gospel of Mark as having two sons. And they are named Alexander and Rufus. That was my clue that he married a Roman girl because Rufus is definitely not a Jewish name. Right, right. And so I just, I also, what I loved was that you were showing this story from this Jewish want-to-be doctor, Jewish healer's point of view, but we also get to see it from the Roman angle as well because he has a best friend who's Roman. He has a wife who's Roman. Um, he's living in the in this Roman community, and we get to see we get to see both sides. 
which is another thing that I really enjoy when I read a historical fiction that you don't get focused on one angle only and you don't get to see like the whole picture. And I feel like because of the characters that you put in there, we at least got to see a couple of different angles of what's happening at this period of time and from those different points of view. Well, I sort of focused on three points of view. The Roman point of view is definitely there, right. with the Roman family. And then the Jewish point of view is very dominant. Right. And then the third is a little less clear, but is the Egyptian. Yeah. Egypt was amazing. It was a civilization 3,000 years long before uh, Christ. Uh, it was, uh, there was so much medicine being practiced. I've read books on ancient Egyptian medicine, and it's fascinating because they understood the body because of embalming. And that was the focus of, the, of teaching medicine right. in Alexandria. Right. And it was a very, it was a very different focus. In fact, once Alexandria, once the, the library was destroyed, lots lost was lost, so right? We and lost. so that's kind of when we went through those dark ages, right? Where, where like medicine went backward. It went very backward. In fact, uh, even Simon toward the, well, that's preempting a little bit on the second and third book but okay he, as an older man he's very frustrated that so many of the people at the museum are going backwards and and instead of doing medicine or calling on some kind of magical formula from the gods right and he is trying to change that okay so i love that so let's just jump forward then and and talk about the fact that this is the first in a trilogy Right? That's correct. The second book is on the way soon. I hope the spring. Awesome. And it was actually the hardest to write, I think, because it has to pick up where I left off and have enough assume that people may not have read the first book, that you have enough information about the character anyway. Right. right. But not overdo that. And then it has to connect with the last part. <laughs> right. So, but the tension in the second book is mostly Simon's friend, the Roman. And the villain is no longer uh, a made-up villain, but a very real villain. And that is the Emperor Caligula. And we all know a little about him. <laughs> And we don't really want to know more. <laughs> right, right. So that book you're hoping, does it have a name, your second one? It does. It's called The Bronze Door. The Bronze Door. And then we have a third one, right? This is going to be a trilogy. Do you know, Correct. do you have any inkling where you're going with number three? Yes, uh, because I I really try to have Simon as a witness to 40 years that changed the world, more or less starts at the crucifixion and ends at the fall of the temple in the Roman Jewish war. Okay. So and you, so you so kind of know where it's going. Yes. And, and he's still a physician then, mm -hmm. but what does the Roman army 
ask of him? They ask of him to help in Jerusalem to heal the wounds of the soldiers that are getting that wounded are, in that war yeah. on the Roman side. Right. Which, of course, breaks his heart. Yeah. Yeah. You can so, imagine. so tell me why Simon like why this character how did you know with with all the research that you've done and all of your love for for this period of time what prompted you to come up with with a jewish man who wants to heal where did that come from well it did start with the bible with the new testament because i was just so curious about simon here he is in Jerusalem. He doesn't really appear anywhere else in our history, except that his sons are known, mm -hmm. which leads me to think that because of his sons, he became famous retroactively. Okay. I mean, but does that make it clear? Yeah. I don't know if that's clear. So I see him as... Uh, a fast, fascinating person because he really didn't want to do this. He was forced by a Roman soldier, but because he is, I see him as a physician, he wants to save this poor man who falls down under the weight of the cross. Right. And of course, you can see his whole life as being symbolic, but I don't portray it that way. I see him as even at the crucifixion, he really was trying to see if he could save Jesus. Right. And of course, there's no way the mob is against them. But he is very, very baffled by it and very upset because he wants to save lives. Right. He doesn't understand the idea of wanting to kill anyone. And so and he cannot. Right. And so he's and yet he's he's torn between his Hippocratic oath that he swears with all right. solemn, a solemn oath for him, and then between that and his duty toward, toward his family's tradition about revenge, which, right. is, in, which is biblical also. Right. So it has, a, so it, has a, it has kind of a basis in the, the Bible, so you've you've found oh, you've found characters, much. right? Yes, I come from a family of theologians. <laughs> okay. okay, all right. And so, I'm curious, how long has this character been sitting in your head? Like, at what point did you decide that that Simon is a physician and that you have to write about him? It was so long ago that I'm embarrassed to say how long <laughs> it took for me to do this. I had a full-time job, as most writers do when they set out. I wrote a lot of short stories and plays, but I did. I, this was sort of always in the back of my mind. Simon deserves a story, yeah. And actually, it's my mother. Bless her heart. Uh, she was uh, a widow by then. And she told me, she said, you know, there's Ben-Hur and there's the robe and there's all of those. And then there's the, the, the novels about Peter, but nobody does anything with Simon. 
and she knew I wrote short stories. Uh-huh. So I said, well, I will uh, try to remedy that. <laughs> and in order to keep her, she was already getting fairly old and I was afraid that she, she said she wanted more interesting things to read. I would send it to her chapter by chapter in the mail. Oh, how fun. That was how it started. And then she kept saying, it was sort of like, you know, A Thousand and One Nights. I couldn't stop because she might die. <laughs> you, had to keep, you had to keep writing until the next thing you know you had that a novel. That was sort of what right? motivated it then. Yeah. And so I was furiously doing research. And of course, since then, it has changed a lot. And I think that I'm learning a lot more about how to write. And that's a process. It is a process. You know, as a, as a reader, you think, oh, well, you know, you just sit down and you write this book. And it, <laughs> it, it isn't the way it works, is it? No, you know, and, and even if you have a great idea and you know where you want to go with it and you, and you start putting it down on paper, there's still so much more to it. You know, there's... Oh, you know that. Yeah. I see that you have a third book out. I do. I do. I have a third exciting. book out now. So, yeah, it is exciting. But but still, that, that process of, you know, the storyline is only one little aspect of it. And then it isn't even just the storyline. That's the plot. But, like, how are you going to to get that out? Where are you going to start? Are you going to do any flashbacks? Why? Why are you doing a flashback for this one? Are you going to do any flash forwards? Are you going to, are you going to switch point of view? Are you going to, and all of those things come into play. Yeah, it's not, it's, and and then, and then there's just the, I tell people, it's like, you don't go out and play a great game of tennis the first time that you ever pick up a racket. (laughs) And it's the very same thing with writing. Exactly. You know, you write your first chapter and, and although you feel really good about it, give it a year and go back and look at it. And you'll think, wow, I really need to do some work because you've learned from all the writing in the meantime. I think I learned a lot writing short stories. I'm sure. And I've I've published a lot of them, most of them in various literary journals. And I learned a lot from that. And I also learned writing plays because I do like dialogue in a novel. Yes. I think it helps portray the character in in such a good way and it also lightens up heavy text if you know what well, I mean. and I think I think dialogue can, yes well, and dialogue too can can help bring in parts of the history that you don't know how to do in text because you can have someone have a conversation and you can bring in names and things that are happening. And, Hey, did you read about what's going on today in the blue book? You know, and, and it, it becomes alive instead of, of just absolutely this, so this side piece. Yeah. Yes. I think it's exciting to bring characters alive that, I mean, I feel like I believe in them. I feel like Simon really did this. And yeah. Uh, yeah. it's funny because Balzac, the French writer, when he was on his deathbed, called for the doctor that was in his novel. <laughs> I love that story. So do I. To us, to us, right, the characters are alive yeah. to me. Yeah. I, I 
feel with them. I cry with them. I want to shake Simon and tell him, no, 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 no. It's too dangerous what you're trying to do. And, <laughs> or, or and sometimes he doesn't listen. No, no, no. I know. But does your character just do what it's going to do? I have characters that, that sometimes sit up against the desk and cross their arms and they say, no, that's not what we're doing. We're doing it my way or no way. And, you know, you end up having to just, you know, go along with them, even though you're saying, why, why are you doing this? Except sometimes that's gotten me into trouble because if you get him into trouble and I can't get him out, it's not a second book. Right, right. You have to figure out what to do. Yeah, it's, um, I, I love, I love that Simon lives in your head. So, I'm curious, when book three is done, you've put Simon away. Do you oh, have dear. any, do you, yeah, I know it's a little scary, isn't it? Do you have anything <laughs> else down the road? Do you have other ideas that are kind of percolating back in there? Well, yes. Uh, I wrote a play on a an Austrian man who refused to serve in the army of Hitler. And he uh, he really lived. I did the research, but I think it would make a better novel than play. So I'm thinking of using that material, but I really want to finish this first. Right, right. I've, I, I often have other ideas and then I write them down just like the idea or maybe a, a brief little something. And then I put it in a folder that I have that's called ideas <laughs> and then Good. when I'm done when I'm done with what I'm doing then I look those over and I kind of like I don't know I just kind of sit with them for a while and see which one is the one that's jumping out at me sometimes yeah. I don't know sometimes I do know because that particular story won't leave my mind even though I'm working on other things and I actually have to say I'm not doing it right now not right now just stop not now <laughs> we'll get to you you know <laughs> But it, was it that way with your new book, with all the healing that's involved? Yeah. The, so, uh, because you're looking at all these different herbs and medicinal things, and you just had to deal with that, right? Right, right. It's and three women again. Yeah, it's it's well, crazy. I haven't, I haven't read it because I don't think it's out yet. It, is it? it, it is out just now. Just now. It's just now out, yes. And, so, and, and remind me of your title. It's, yeah, it's, it's called Daughters of Green Mountain Gap. It sounds like Kentucky. So it's <laughs> actually, believe it or not, it's the, the mountains of North Carolina. So you're not North far. Carolina. Yeah, yeah, it's the but Appalachian it sounds, Mountains. It sounds, well, they, of course. Yes, they do. Uh, are adjacent they so. are so yeah very very good guess <laughs> that means I did a good job with my title um oh yes. you did I love I love the uh cover oh thank you gap. thank you the gap don't you love it oh yeah oh yeah I definitely love it so back to Simon <laughs> we're going to talk about his medical training right was there anything that you learned while doing this research that you found really fascinating in terms of like medical advancements? Well, I was surprised uh, that uh, because of embalming in Egypt, he, he really was became the master surgeon, which uh, means that he could sew up wounds that before were simply clamped. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, they had all kinds of stitches for embalming that he more or less, I think he was somewhat of a pioneer at the time, but other doctors were also. And that's why I dared show that, that they pioneered surgery in a way that it had not been done because they had the stitching and using silk thread was an issue and this kind of thing. I thought right. that was fascinating. Also, his father traveled a lot and therefore was not there when his sister was abducted. And, and Simon is very young at the time and feels responsible because he's the, the man of the house. Right, when, right. And the father travels all the way to the east almost to India, not as far as India, but as quite far. So he gets to the uh, point of um, um, getting all of these wonderful herbs and spices that Simon played with when he was a child and learned different ways to, to heal. To use and of them. Course, mm -hmm. And he used them and I, I read wonderful books about herbs and spices and how they were used, some from the Far East, one that was supposedly helpful for leprosy that he tried out in book two, I think, or book yeah. three. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're starting to run together now, aren't they? <laughs> well, he, he's always, but the book two is, is, um, is about, more about the main character is is uh, Simon's best friend, Valerius. Right. Yeah, but he he's uh, he's what I would call a noble Roman. Awesome. And he grew up being best friend with best friends with uh, Simon, and has a sensitivity to the Jews that very few Romans had. Right, right, because because of that connection. And he is historical. Right. Uh, he, uh, there are two sources on him, both Philo and Josephus. And amazingly enough, they tell the story of his conflict with Caligula. And there are no, there's no differences between the two stories. There's oh, an wow. emphasis. Uh, Philo, the Jewish philosopher and theologian, he emphasized in the story, he emphasized God's providence, whereas Josephus is much more the matter-of-fact historian. He doesn't mm -hmm. talk about God having come in and saved the situation. He talks just about the facts, right? just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> and so it, it was fascinating to read both accounts. Mm -hmm. Both are in Greek. Philo wrote in Greek and Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote in Greek. That was the language of Alexandria. And it was also the language that was, was used more than Latin in the Roman Empire because of Alexander the Great. Greek had spread far and wide. Fascinating and, stuff. Actually. Yeah, I did. No, I mean, it really is. I, I love the fact that you were able to go to the sources and then read them in that language. I think that 
I mean, the difference here is, is for instance, if I were going to read anything that Josephus had to write down, I'd have to read a translated version into English because I would never be able to read what. Well, I cheat. I mean, cheat? I'll be honest. Okay. <laughs> I, I read both the Greek. Right. But, but the loved classical library is Greek on one side, English on the other. So you have a because that vocab there's a lot of vocabulary that uh, that you can forget yes and so you I, I i don't want people to think that i just read greek as though i read english that's not <laughs> at all okay. true but i i do i can go back to the source and and actually quote philo in one place in and uh, in one place he has such a an interesting statement that I think is so modern. He says, for God, time does not exist. God is eternity. I love that. Yeah. And it sounds modern. It sounds like modern day astronomers who are discovering the wonders of the universe. Right. To me, right. that's what it sounds like. Oh, God is it. eternity. I love I have that. that quote in my second book. <laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome. And and is your second book being put out by Atmosphere Press like your first one? Yes, because yeah. I have found them very um, congenial and helpful to work with. Yeah, yeah. I use them as I, well. I, I, I really like them as a as a publisher. They are they are willing to well, we don't always agree on a particular thing, you know, in terms of the editing, but we uh, we find common ground. And I know the yeah. book is 10 times better because of them. Yeah, that's the way I feel, that that I don't always and agree, I, but I, I always listen. People, yeah. Uh, I know some people may not feel that way, but I, I have learned so much about the process from them. Right. And... I, I actually have a PhD in comparative literature from the University of North Carolina, but I did not know how to do a book until they helped me do right. a book. There, there's, there's a difference between liter, you know, like understanding literature and then actually oh, making yes. it into a book and putting it down. So you went to UNC Chapel Hill? I did. Fantastic. I'm from North Carolina. Well, I've lived yes. in North Carolina since 1979, so I feel like I'm from North Carolina. And well, I, two I of my, yeah, two of I, my girls graduated from UNC. So well, delightful. I loved yeah. UNC. Um, I loved my professors there. I had wonderful professors. Uh, Dr. Eugene Falk was amazing. But uh, I just think that it's an excellent, excellent school. And, yep. of course, Duke is nearby. Yes, is it is. Excellent. But I taught my first year after my Ph.D., I taught at Chapel Hill for a year. Fantastic. The great book series. And after that, I taught. Uh, you probably have heard of it because it, uh, my husband taught there. 
he taught religion at Campbell University. I know where Campbell is. I sure do. Yes, Buies Creek, North Carolina. Yes, little tiny in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and it had one of the best religion departments, I think, in the South. Really wonderful people. Yes, I love it. And they also, they now have a law school. And I believe they've put the law school in Raleigh. So it's not, it's not, in, the, it's not in Buies Creek. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But they also have a medical school, I think. Yeah, yeah. So it's grown that's, considerably. That's when all. it first started, it was little tiny. Oh, I know. I remember Papa Campbell, who who was then president. Well, he had retired by the time I was there, but he he was sort of the father of the whole college. Of the whole thing. <laughs> right. All right. So you hope book number two, The Bronze Door, is coming out maybe this spring. I hope and so. Book number three, do we have a name for book three? Well, my name is uh, Beyond the Horizon. Okay, awesome. And any, a, I, any idea when you think it's coming out? I don't know. Uh, it always takes longer than I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't want to... I don't want to risk not being able to finish it so so sooner rather than later is when we're going to expect that i one, hope right? i hope i'm i think because i've learned so much in the first one that i can probably do better uh do a little quick do it a little quicker right but i'm not sure because uh it has to be right before it gets published i, I understand mean, I, I understand I, I keep trying to make it so that you want to know what the next page says. <laughs> well, you did that for me with The Lighthouse. I can honestly say that it is not a time period that usually interests me. So unlike you, the, that era just is like, it's okay. I don't know. And I, I think it's because I've probably always only learned about that era through boring lectures and, you know, lectures can get really, really dry. Um, and so I don't know, but I read it. I read it. I think if I remember correctly, I won that book. Like oh, I, I did, through, I did through atmosphere press and that was the book that, that I won and I thought, okay, well, that's great. I'll read it. And <laughs> And, and I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll read it. And then I finally said, okay, Terry, you're going to sit down and read this book. And I did. And I, well, I wasn't, but maybe four or five pages in and I knew I'd finish it. Like I had to know what was going on. And it kept me feeling that way through the entire book. And, and at the end, I reevaluated and said, well, maybe I do like this time period. Maybe it's just <laughs> been, <laughs> maybe it's just been what I've been you know, it's not all Ben Hur, right? Yeah. Well, all yeah. the Ben Hurries had great book. I yes. Don't get me wrong. It's just that, well, when I talked with my mother, she said, "Well, there are other characters in the Bible who never get any attention." <laughs> right. Right. So I, so I really, it it was an excellent book. I have definitely told many people if they say to me, "Hey, do you have a good idea for historical fiction?" I've told a lot of people, you've got to look at The Lighthouse. You have got to look at The Lighthouse. So. And The Lighthouse itself is such an interesting thing. It was a, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, a technical marvel. And it stood for 2,000 years. It was the tallest building in the world 
for 2,000 years. Isn't that crazy? And then crazy? it was toppled by an earthquake in the 14th century. So it, it's an amazing structure. Yeah. And, and they're it, finding pieces of it in down in the ocean, down in the Mediterranean, I should say. Isn't that cool? Yeah, so, and and I really love the fact that you are a lot like me in terms of the history that goes in has to be real. I can have made up characters. I can have people that didn't really exist, but the history that they're living in has to be real. And I try my best. Now it's not, I'm not perfect, you know, and I'm not a historian and, and, and I may have made mistakes, but they're not purposeful. I always do my best to keep things as accurate as I can. Well, I, and, and I felt that in yours as well. Well, bravo to you because that I, that's one of my pet peeves about historical fiction. When the author at the end says, oh, I changed this date and that person has a different name and I did something else because of my story. I said, no, 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 no. I don't want that. Right. Right. I, I read one book. I'm not going to say which one it was a, it was a good book i mean i enjoyed it but i was very disappointed because at the end i found out that what i thought was this beautiful love story that ending wasn't real and uh, and there was a and there was a known ending there was a known ending and they and they have... did something else and and that it'd be different if there was an unknown and then you created an ending in order to exactly. make things but if there's a known ending then you have to in my opinion, this is my opinion, if you're going to write historical fiction, the historical part is the real part, and you have to stay true to it. The fiction part exactly. is what your fictional characters do, or what your non-fictional character does that you don't know, that you can't know. You can't know their thought at, a big, at any time unless they wrote it down in a journal. Or you can't know that, you know, they went out on a date with someone. You, you might not know these facts, and so you can, like, bring them in. But if you know that in the end, these two people did not get together, then I just don't think you should put them together. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I but... agree with you, but... <laughs> But, it, you know, that's why there is some advantage to choosing a character who is not as well known. You can invent more you can invent, about them. Right, right. But I everything agree. has to fit to the time period. I agree. I agree. All right, Karen, where can people get a hold of you if they are just dying to know more about The Lighthouse or want to ask you a question or just reach out. How do they do that? Well, they can reach me at Karen at Saholis.com. They do have to, uh, that's an email address. They have to spell my name correctly. I spell <laughs> Karen with an I. My father was Norwegian. And so that's the Norwegian Catherine. And uh, Saholis is really, my husband is responsible for that one. <laughs> And it has to be spelled, but if you have to have spell it right to buy the book at Amazon or at uh, any bookstore, you have to know the last name because I didn't use a pen name. That's all right. I will have all of that in the show notes so that people will be able to, to go and, and click right onto your website. And I want to thank you so much for being here with me today. Well, thank you for reading my book and for enjoying it. I appreciate that. And I will look forward to your next one 
Well, this one, actually, I should say, since it's already out. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, Karen, thank you. Well, you're welcome. And thank you. All right. I am going to end the recording.